know, I feel like a teenager this morning. My voice is changing every two minutes. <laughs> I went through that about 13. I'm going through it again now. So I might be a bass for a while and a tenor for a while. You'll have to kind of keep tuned in today. I want you to notice one particular characteristic that's common to these two verses. And we're going to share a bit about that this morning. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. You notice a burst of praise here. A burst of praise and then the reason for that praise. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The last little phrase there caught my attention and I want us to have some attention focused on today. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And I had been making a study of just that phrase throughout the scripture, in his sight. And so much of what we do, we do because we know others are watching and we need to be careful uh, because we know that our witness is observed by other people. We do model for, for our family those precepts and principles and values that are very important. It's not so much what we say, you see, we, we teach what we know, we reproduce what we are. Let me repeat that. As parents, as teachers, as pastors, whatever, we teach what we know, we reproduce what we are. So it is, it's not really so much just what we say, it's, it's the, the, the Word becoming flesh dwelling among us, just as the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of just even as a Sunday school teacher or a Royal Ranger commander or whoever we are, we are able to teach what we know, but we will reproduce what we are. We can teach loyalty and, and all the precepts of loyalty, but if we are rebellious, we will be discipling rebels because they will look at us and say, well, that's how they treat those who are in authority. That's how they react to those who are over them. So that must be the way. I can react as well. So it's important that we, we recognize that people are watching. But the most important eyes, and whatever we do, whether it's singing or preaching or whatever we're going to do, we need to keep in focus that we only have one person's face to look at for approval, and that's the Lord. Because we are wanting to do his work, his way, for his sight, for his good pleasure. And we are to be made holy in his sight. And when we look at each other, we recognize our imperfections. But as God sees us this morning, through his son Jesus Christ, he sees us totally different. And we are seen by God, holy and blameless. And we have been chosen by God before he created the world to be holy and without blemish. 
And that's an exciting thing, especially when it's in God's sight. Colossians chapter 1, just over a couple pages to the right, verses 21 through 23. I'll give you a moment to find that. Colossians chapter 1. Two verses, three verses there. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. That's communion. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed in every, to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Notice the same phrase. Different church, same message. Different congregation, same God speaking the same truth to them. You were once alienated. By the way, tonight I'm going to speak to you about aliens. And uh, we'll talk and discover some things that the Word of God has to say about aliens. That's a hot topic today. And when we were in Chicago, we, we walked through a mall. And uh, uh, as you walked into this particular shop, there was a glass-enclosed coffin-like affair with, with a, a, a resemblance of an alien inside. T-shirts. That was the hot uh, uh, graphic on the T-shirts. That seems to be what people are talking about. Do you know the Bible has some things to say about aliens and who aliens are and what they're going to do? So come tonight. We'll talk about aliens. But you were once alienated. You were once aliens and alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now are reconciled to Christ by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Mark Twain said, few things are harder to put up with than an annoying good example. Few things are harder to put up with than an annoying good example. And he went on to say, perhaps the thing most annoying about a good example is its inability to accomplish the same thing in us as is in them. And he said, admiration for a great person can inspire us, but it cannot enable us. Admiration for a great person may inspire us, but it cannot enable us. He went on to say, unless that person could enter into our lives, share his skills, we cannot attain to his level of level or height of accomplishment. It takes more than an example on the outside. It takes power on the inside. Isn't that a good sermon? We look at God and we know that our God, the God we serve, is holy. And we are challenged by his character, his example. We are inspired. But I want you to know something this morning. There's something more than just the pattern here. There is the power. The good news of the gospel is he has come to indwell us. This holy God, 
that we worship and serve has taken residence inside and all of the nature and qualities we have been made partakers of his divine nature so it is possible for us to be holy as he is holy through the body and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are able to enter in by faith now to the presence of a holy God because of the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who has sanctified us and made us righteous not our own but we are clothed with his righteousness alone and then faultless to stand before his throne now that ought to make you shout even at 8:30 in the morning that's good that's wonderful we who who are sinful faulty frail human beings have the possibility of becoming like god holy as he is that term sometimes can can frighten us a little bit or cause us to stand back a bit but i want us this morning to appreciate and give praise for this i made note to you from ephesians the burst of praise that came from paul he understood this the burst of praise praise be unto god and the father of our lord jesus christ and then he gives the reason for that the reason for his praise is a very solid thing and he's appreciating the fact of a holy god can make a sinful people holy in the sight of God and present us blameless before the throne of that presence of an almighty God. There's an old hymn that we know, I'm sure many of you were raised on this holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. There is a phrase that is known to man that says, power corrupts. Can you finish that phrase? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now that's true in the natural realm. But I want you to see from that hymn and from the word of God that that's not true spiritually and divinely. He's the Lord God Almighty. He is complete in power, but he is complete in purity. Although he is almighty God, absolute power, he is incorruptible. He cannot ever be corrupted. He cannot be tempted by evil. He has not tempted anyone. He cannot be tempted to sin. God is almighty, holy, and almighty. Isn't it wonderful that this morning we can rejoice in the fact that the absolute power is absolutely pure. And it may be true of human nature, but it is not true of divine nature this morning. And I want us to rejoice in the fact that although we serve an almighty God, he has never used that place of supremacy and that place of authority to take advantage of us. Nor would he ever nor would he ever rob us to, to enrich himself. As is the case with natural leaders, and the reasons for rebellions around the world is that men...
or dictatorship who will, who will exploit the people for their own advancement and enrichment and aggrandizement. We've seen it happen and we will continue to see it happen around the world because unholy power can only be tolerated for a short period of time and then people will have to rise up and say enough is enough. We can't put up with this anymore. We won't put up with this anymore. And they rebel against that authority because of how evil the power and authority has become. I met almost every morning with, with a young Zaire African leader who was aspiring to, to be elected as the president of that, of that country. It is the third largest in size, but number one in population in Africa. Zaire, formerly known as the Congo, and this young man, Samuel Zita, uh, would attend the services and would come to my office on Monday mornings and we would talk and pray. And, and he was on the ballot to be, be balloted upon. Uh, this past May when all the troubles broke out and there was another general that arose to, to take power of that, of that nation. Things in total chaos. Mobutu, who had been in power for a long time, and, and I uh, went back to get some research last night to, to just illustrate what I'm saying to you. Let me read this. Mobutu's presidency was known as the most dictatorial corrupt in the world, characterized by nepotism and favoritism. Not only had there been no political representation for the people of Zaire, but economically had been so mismanaged that the country's natural resources were plundered for profit of Matumbo. Africa's third largest but first most populous nation, enormously wealthy in diamonds and gold and minerals, but sunk deep into chronic poverty and depression because he exploited it all for his own wealth and power. Ironically, as some of the paragraphs go on to say, it was funded many multi-millions of dollars funded by the United States Treasury. He is perceived to be an isolated and extremely egotistical personality. He was served by an entourage of self-seeking members who were the beneficiaries of decades of government corruption and fraud. Power corrupts. Whole nation, most populated nation in Africa, living in abject poverty, a wealthy nation, but so evil was the power that ruled that nation that it it just impoverished the people not our God causes us to rejoice the almighty God is the holy God this morning and just the opposite is true and we have before us a reminder of that fact today he who was rich became poor that we through his Poverty might be made rich. It was not that he has used us and exploited us for his own wealth and power, but in fact he invested his riches in us that we might be lifted from our poor condition, our poverty-strickenness, and lifted to sit with kings and priests in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
Hallelujah. We who were sinners, he who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, it is so totally contrary to the spirit of this world and the spirit of this age. This God is worthy of worship. This God is worthy to be served. This God is worthy to be embraced. And this God is, is worthy to be our Lord, our God. He'll never take advantage of us. In fact, he has invested his wealth in us. He has blessed us. Isn't that what Paul said? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. This almighty God, power in the natural, does some things to human beings. It will take the wealth in diamonds and gold and silver and rob it and take it from those who deserve it for their own. Not God. Hallelujah. I'm glad for this table. I'm glad for this table, this holy, this pure, this powerful God has made it possible for me to be pure. Made it possible for me to be holy as well. He has set in place for us laws that enable us and protect us. Revelation 4, 8 says of the angels that that's the message they cry. They rest not day or night, but they cry, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Isaiah 6, 2 and 3, that's what he saw when he went to the temple. The glory filled the temple. The glory of God was manifest and the seraphim flew continually through the room and cried one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What practical difference does the holiness of God make to us? What relevance does it have to our everyday life? This holy God who has set in place for us. We're very fortunate, I believe, to live in a universe that is controlled and it is governed by a holy God. We're fortunate to live under the rulership of a holy God. He has set in place for us laws. Let me read to you Romans chapter 7 verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandments holy, just, and good. The law is holy. The commandments holy, just, and good. Some, are, some people argue, well, what's, you know, what does the church have? What relevant message does the church have for me? What does the holiness of God have to do with, with my everyday life, for where I live and where I work and my family? Let me suggest to you, the more spiritual the truth becomes, the more practical it is to our lives. There isn't anything more practical to your life and mine than this book. It's spiritual. 
but it is immensely practical. It deals with my physical body. It touches my emotional life. It gives answers to my mental situation. It touches my finances. It helps my family. There is nothing but practical truth here in the Word of God. It is absolutely relevant to every part of who you are and what you do. This Word of God and the fact of the holiness of God touches and covers every dimension of my life. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, domestically, it touches every area and gives truth to help me with every facet and phase of my life. There couldn't be anything more relevant to who you are and what you do than the Word of God and the God of the Word. And the holiness of God is immensely practical in the, in the fact that the law is holy, the commandments are holy, just, and true. If there's anything that should cause a burst of praise to come from us this morning, it's the fact of God, God's holiness because he's absolutely impartial and fair. And his laws are set in place as a protection against our hurting ourselves, hurting others, or being hurt by others. That's what God has in mind. He is, he is a God who is concerned that we do not self-destruct, that we don't destroy other people, or that we are destroyed by other people. And so the, the laws are holy and just because they're set in place as a protection for us against these very important vital areas of our lives. And I thank you for it. I'm glad I live in a universe that has been and is being governed by a holy God whose law is holy, whose commandments are holy, and they're set there in place because as, as a loving Heavenly Father, He will not sit by and watch me destroy myself. He will step in and do everything He can to keep me from self-destruction. What father would it be who could watch his kid, watch his child destroy themselves? Pursue an activity, sit idly by and watch that child engage in an activity that they know will destroy them. God is a wise heavenly father and he will not. You matter too much to God for him to sit by and watch you in a behavior that is self-destructive. We have a Holy Spirit. Amen. Aren't you glad for a Holy Spirit? who will intervene. He will come to us and say, this is, not what, this is not good for you. This is not healthy for you. This is not holy for you. And God is actively engaged in our lives. You matter to God. You matter a great deal to God. And so he is actively involved in your life at every phase, every moment of your life, day or night. God is there watching over you to kind of keep us from destroying ourselves or destroying others, or being destroyed by others. That's all the Ten Commandments are all about. He wants to protect Mark's reputation. So he tells the rest of us, don't bear false witness against this brother. He wants to protect him from evil slander. And so he said, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt him. That's going to hurt everyone. So he set a law in place. He wants to protect our things and so he, he he put a law in place to say don't rob roger's stuff 
all of our stuff. He cares about our stuff. He wants to protect our marriage, so he says to all of us, leave Don's wife alone because he knows the damage and destruction that that does to that family, other families, and to the world. There's a, a God who says, I, I, I just don't want you to wipe Cheryl out. Thou shalt not kill. So he protects our life. He protects our things. He protects our marriage. He protects our reputation. God is actively involved. The holy God has set holy laws in place because he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. He doesn't want us to hurt each other. And he doesn't want others to hurt us. And so God who is holy, I'm so glad I serve him this morning. We serve. No wonder a burst of praise would come from the heart of the Apostle Paul. He's blessed us with all kinds of spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Oh, hallelujah. And he has, he has chosen us before he created the world to be presented holy and blameless before his throne. He has made it possible for us through the death, through the body. That's what Paul wrote to the, to the Colossians, through the death, the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read it again from verse 22. But now has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Oh, I tell you what. Is there anything more precious than a clear conscience? To say, come Lord, it's okay. You can come right now. I'm ready. Take me home, Lord, if you want to. I'm ready. There's nothing between my soul and my Savior. And I know that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has washed me whiter than snow. Sin, though red like, like scarlet, like crimson, has been made white as snow, white as wool. Hallelujah. That's what a holy God will do. That's what a wonderful holy God. That's the practical. We ought to rejoice. We ought to give praise. For the Lord God Almighty, although he's all-powerful, he's all-purity. He'll never take advantage of us, never exploit us. But on the contrary, he will, continues to invest in us, invest in us. At his own expense to whosoever. At his own expense to whosoever. Hallelujah. Oh, aren't you glad? And the best part is when we die, we're going to go to a holy place. That's enough to, for a burst of praise right there. Where nothing enters that defiles. Nothing enters that defiles. Because that which defiles destroys. That which defiles destroys. But we're going to be taken to a place being prepared for us where the Lamb is the light and where those who have been made holy 
by the body and blood of Jesus Christ will share fellowship forever, unbroken fellowship without any interruption of evil of any kind forever and forever. That's the kind of society I'm looking forward to being a part of. No more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more crying. The former things are passed away. Why? Because everything that defiles destroys. But when the defilement is gone, there's nothing to destroy. Oh, I'm glad for a holy God. I rejoice and I give praise for a holy God. Hallelujah. As I was uh, thinking about this, I couldn't help but return to Exodus chapter 3. And in the light of the move of the Spirit of God today, in the light of what God is doing throughout the country and around the world by the outpouring of His Holy Spirit, I want us to take a look at a familiar picture in Exodus chapter 3 where a man is routinely doing what he had been doing for a while. Numbers of years. Decades. When one day, all of a sudden, he's watching his father-in-law's sheep and there was a bush that began to burn. And you're familiar with God's visitation of Moses recorded for us in that second and third chapter. Moses, verse 1 of chapter 3, tending Jethro, his father-in-law's sheep. And the far side of the desert came to Horeb, the mount of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that Though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he was gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Do not come closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. There is a clear instruction, I believe, as we examine something that the Lord is doing in, in a supernatural manifestation of his power and of his presence. Surprisingly, God visited this individual with a supernatural manifestation of his presence in the form of fire. Now, it's important that we identify what God is trying to accomplish. What's the purpose? You see, I believe we need to ask the why question, not just the what question, but the why question. It's not just what is happening, but why is it happening? Why did God cause this bush to burn? 
Why did God cause this bush to burn? In the verses that I just read, what was he trying to accomplish? With this manifestation of his presence. Trying to get Moses' attention. This supernatural thing was an attention getter. He was walking down a routine path. On his way, he had been to Horeb before. He was watching his father-in-law's sheep. But that fire began to burn. And he said, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to check this out. So the manifestation of the Spirit of God is to what? Get our attention. And when he drew aside to begin to investigate what this was all about and began to check it out, so manifestation will give rise to investigation. He said, I think I will turn aside to see what this is. And when he looked at it, he said, hey, you know what? I've never seen this kind of fire. I've seen fire in a bush before, but this bush is not being consumed. This bush is consumable, but this fire is not consuming the bush. This is not natural. This is supernatural and so when god's presence is manifest it is a way of getting our attention and he does it in such a way that we have to see this is not something that can be explained through the natural it is supernatural and when he turned aside to investigate the supernatural is to get our attention our attention gives rise to investigation the investigation gives rise to instruction. God gave personal instruction. Moses, now that you've turned aside to investigate the supernatural, you stay right where you are and don't come near. What do you think would have happened to Moses had he disregarded the instruction of God and pursued going closer to touch that bush? What do you suppose would have happened to Moses had he disregarded God's voice he would have been destroyed. I believe Moses would have died. The fire, the manifestation of the Spirit of God was to get his attention. The attention was to draw him to inspection. And once the inspection, God had some instruction. Moses, you stay right there. Don't come any closer. You take off your shoes. What was God trying to teach Moses about the supernatural? Respect and obedience and humility. You take a, you're standing on what kind of ground? Holy ground. What was Moses' condition? Unholiness. You know, unholy people and holy gods don't mix. And so what God was doing was saying, that's as close as you can come in your condition. You can't approach me in that condition a holy god and unholy people cannot come together but oh i'm so glad for this table it changes it all it changes it all what moses couldn't do you and i can do freely this morning Come boldly into the presence of the Lord.
We can touch him. He can touch us. Oh, isn't it wonderful that the power of the cross has so changed our relationship with God that we can come nigh with full assurance of faith. We can enjoy his presence. They say, Moses, don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. Someone has said that there are only three things that will hinder revival from moving, and that is lack of hunger, lack of humility, and lack of holiness. Lack of hunger, lack of desire, lack of humility, because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The people who will take off their shoes in the presence of a holy God, acknowledge and reverence him, and obedience to his word, his, his instruction, whatever that is. And lack of holiness. We've heard from numbers of sources that wherever God is moving, there's zero tolerance for sin. Zero tolerance for sin. Because God wants us to be like him. And guess what? He is holy. Be what? Be holy for I am holy. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. It's absolutely critical for us. And so it's what God is doing to his church and in his church and for his church in these last days. I believe he's bringing us to the burning bush. I believe he's doing some supernatural things to get our attention. So we will investigate. The attention turns to investigation. The investigation brings us instruction. And through the instruction, we begin to obey what God is doing. And the end result was commission. And he said, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And there was a whole nation that was in bondage that was going to be set free by the power of God because of what God was doing. The supernatural got his attention. Moses didn't become a fire worshiper. He became a servant of the living God. We don't worship the manifestations. They get our attention. Once God gets our attention with that, we investigate, he instructs us, the end result will be a whole nation delivered of the bondage and threat. The manifestation is just the first phase and it's designed to get our attention. For us to say, God's here. And once you know God's here, God speaks. Once God speaks, we respond. And he has a commission for us because there's a whole world lost that must be saved. You see the pattern in the book of Acts chapter 2? What was all the wind and the fire and the tongues all about? What was that for? To let them know God's here. Get their attention. And when God sent the wind and the fire and the tongues, what happened? People said, hey, I, I, let's check this fire out. And they came as a multitude. 
it got their attention, it brought their inspection, and once they got there to inspect what was happening, they said, what does this mean? Then God spoke out of the bush. Are you with me? God, through Peter, spoke out of the bush. And the end result was 3,000 people delivered. You can't separate soul winning from Pentecost. To be truly Pentecostal is to be evangelistic. You cannot separate the 3,000 saved. That's all a part of the day of Pentecost. That's all a part of the outpouring. It's not just an outpouring we need, but we need an outpouring of God to see people delivered from sin. And Jewish people find their Messiah. 3,000 Jewish men discovered their Messiah that day were baptized in water. You see the pattern in the next chapter? The man that was crippled, bush began to burn. Peter and John reached down and in the name of Jesus rise and walk and he began to leap and walk and praise God. What happened? Hey, turn, turn your Bible, turn it to Acts chapter 5. Turn, turn with me. You've got to see this for yourself. Acts chapter 4. No, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Chapter 3. Let's pick it up from verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colony. They came running. What was that miracle all about? Was it just one man's healing? What was it? That healing got the attention of the community. The people ran to where they were. And when the people ran to investigate the moving of God, guess what? A voice out of the bush. Peter said, guess what? You've crucified the very Lord and Christ, but God has raised him from the dead. And he preached that whole message to him. And when you read on into chapter 4, verse 4, but as many as heard the message believed in the number of men, about 5,000. Hallelujah. We're standing on holy ground. In this move of God, the manifestation of the supernatural power of God is designed to do one thing. Hear me. It is designed to do one thing, is to get the attention that will promote investigation. And when you investigate, you turn aside to see God has something to say. And when God has something to say, we do what he says. And it will result in evangelism. It will result in all of the people of God crossing the Red Sea and going through the wilderness to inhabit the promised land. It will result in 3,000 people. It will result in 5,000 people being saved. We don't become fire worshipers. We are worshipers of the living God. 
The God who answers by fire, let him be God on Carmel. 93 words, Elijah prayed, the fire came down. They didn't say, oh, look at the fire. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Oh, that's where our eyes have to be on the Lord. He is God. Oh, let's, let's look for the bush. As God allows the bush to burn, let's recognize we're standing on holy ground. 